Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here in my office with my Bible open to Ephesians chapter 1, where it says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As we begin to draw this podcast series on transformation to a conclusion, I want to circle back around to some first principles, because if we don't understand that there are certain overarching principles and practices in the scriptures, practices like love, like worship, like faith, no paradigms or principles, regardless of how good or how biblical they are, will be able to be rightly applied. It's like when Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, there are certain first principles in Scripture which act like umbrellas underneath which all other principles must be applied. Love is a first principle in that it is the standard by which I apply any biblical truth practically in my life. Faith is another such first principle. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's not just a salvation principle, but a principle that governs every area of a believer's life, even to the point that Romans 14.23 says that whatever is not of faith is sin. God has good desires for our lives, for our marriages, for our vocation, for our churches, for our city, and for our nations. He has made every provision in Christ to bring those desires to reality. God says to each of us, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But God is looking for faith and a people who will position themselves to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, there's no greater tragedy than unrealized potential than to be Christ's bride, but never experience being transformed by his love, or to be part of God's temple, and yet not experience the life-giving power of his presence, or to be part of the body of Christ, and yet never experience the blessing of being used as his hands and feet in this world. This is who we are. All of these things are true of us as Christians, positionally, But the question we need to ask ourselves is, are they true of our lives experientially? This verse that we started with in Ephesians 1 has long been a key for me in distinguishing this difference between positional truth and practical truth. Positional truth is that which God has declared in his word that I possess in Christ. Because I have been positioned in Christ through faith, the Bible says that I have been given and therefore possess every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what God's Word says. Now, practical truth 
is that which is true in my experience. I can possess something and yet not experience the benefit of it. I can own a house, but never live in it. I can have money in the bank, but never spend it. The goal of faith is to bring what I possess positionally into my experience practically. Let me say that again. The goal of faith is to bring what I possess positionally into my experience practically. God wants us to see what is ours in Christ in the heavenlies and then pray in faith, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are two scriptures that are incredibly helpful in understanding how to apply this principle of faith. The first is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, there are several things God has declared to us here in this passage. First, is that he has given us divine power in everything we need to live a godly life consistent with our calling and how we were designed. That in itself is awesome. But then secondly, Peter says, that we can be partakers or participants in the divine nature. We can be receptacles of his presence and participants with him in accomplishing his purposes on earth. I mean, wow. Yes, Lord, to both of those things. Now, there are several specific guidelines as to how to apply this and bring it into our experience. The first is where it says that we enter into this godly life through the knowledge of Him. It's through our knowledge of Him, through our intimate, abiding relationship with Him, that His divine nature becomes manifest in us and to us. The other practical guideline Peter gives us is regarding God's promises, when he says, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So we partake of God's divine nature and experience the power of knowing Him through His promises. How do we do that? This takes us to the next passage that is critical in understanding how to apply this principle of faith, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through Him the Amen is spoken by us, to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. Paul here again is referring to our position in Christ and the promises that we possess because we are in Christ. It is God who makes us to stand firm in Christ, it says. And just as Peter pointed out, God has given us promises in his word that enable us to now experience practically that which we possess in Christ positionally. How? Two simple words. Yes and amen. Yes is the declaration of our agreement with God's promise. The acknowledgement that God has spoken, 
So we say, yes, Lord, you have spoken, and I believe what you say. Then there is the amen, which is spoken by us to the glory of God, it says. Amen simply means, let it be so. It's me declaring in prayer, yes, Lord, let it be so. God wants me to see by faith his desires and his will that he has declared through the scriptures and the blessings that he has decreed over my life, over my family, over my church, over my city, over my nation. Now, it's through his promises that I become a participant in the divine nature. God's promise is like an extension cord that runs from the heavenlies to earth. Faith is the light switch that brings the light of God's presence, his nature, his power, and infuses it into my reality. We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. God is now looking for faith on the earth and a people who are willing to position themselves to see his purposes fulfilled. Remember when God spoke to Mary by an angel saying, you're going to have a baby when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Mary asked, how can this be? For I am a virgin. And the angel replied, nothing is impossible with God. That word nothing in the Greek is literally no rhema. Rhema is God's word spoken. It's the utterance of God. Another way to translate what the angel spoke would be, nothing that God has spoken is impossible. Why is that? Because every utterance of God comes with the power to see it fulfilled. And Mary's response was, may it be done according to your word. That's faith. Yes, Lord, I believe what you have spoken. Amen. Let it be done according to your word. God spoke, and the universe was created by his word, the Bible says. Nothing is impossible for God. God says to us, Ask of me, and I will give you nations as an inheritance. He says to us, Go into all the world and disciple nations. He commands the impossible. But because that command was spoken by God, there is power to accomplish what he has spoken. God never asks us to do anything for which he doesn't already promise to supply the power to do it. I love Caleb in the Old Testament, who after finally entering into the promised land at the age of 85, asked for his inheritance, which was the land of Hebron, the land where the Anakites, the giants, lived. And I love what Caleb says to Joshua. And he says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Today, let's live as those who see through the lenses of faith and let's say yes and amen to everything that God has for us in Christ. Not for us or for our sake, but for God's glory. There's that famous Moravian quote, 
to win for the Lamb the reward for his suffering. He deserves, as his inheritance, the nations of the earth. He is worthy of a great harvest and of the worship of nations. Lord, we ask that you transform us now by your power and through that which you have spoken. For all things were created by you and for you, so that in all things you might have supremacy. Amen.